Well, son, what do you think of the movie? Well, Dad, I don't know. It was just, it was really different than the Resident Evil games. You know what I mean? Son, I know exactly what you mean. Why, I've so many times I've gone and seen the movies and thought to myself, why they change that from the book? Like when I first saw uh, the the 1984 version of Dune, I was like, what's up with these weird voice-activated guns? <laughs> Am I right? Changes to source material are weird. Yeah, Dad, it's just like, you know, like, so at the beginning of the movie, it doesn't give me a choice of protagonists to follow. I just sort of have to follow wherever the movie's going. Well, uh, well yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that's, that's pretty typical for movies. You don't get a, it's, it's not a choose-your-own-adventure. That'd be difficult to play out for a movie theater, I... Well, I, I guess, but then, like, also, there's never a point in the movie where anyone saves their progress on a typewriter, and I kind of felt like that took me out of the film. What? Not only that, but, like, everyone in the action was, like, really agile and good at fighting, and, like, no one moved like a tank at all. Like, there was no, like, awkward moment where they were circling around. It just, it didn't feel like Resident Evil to me, you know? I, son, what, what kind of games are these? Ugh, Dad, you wouldn't get it. You don't play games. Once again, Dave was put in his place by his child, reminding him that he was old. Welcome to the show. All right, welcome back to Ruben Uncut. I know, I know, no guests today. I don't know if people prefer that or not. Please, send me feedback, whether it be through social media, at my Twitter or Facebook page, or even, you know, leave me a voice message. I'll put it in the podcast. No, I will. Don't you want attention? I'll give you attention. All right, where was I? Yes. So today, well, the thing is, I, uh, I did a thing, you know, that most people might define as a waste of time. I went ahead and rewatched all the Resident Evil movies. Okay, that's not true. I haven't seen the new reboot thing that they made. Uh, Re Welcome to Raccoon City. Uh, but, like, I hear it's terrible. Although it is more recent. Also, what I want to say, what I want to focus on is the original series, not this new reboot. Which maybe I'll see at some point and I can get into that. Because the, the Resident Evil film series is pretty interesting. Because it is technically the most successful video game movie franchise. Which, in fairness, is not saying a ton. It's, it's really not. However, um... That is kind of where it stands. Now, in almost all its box office records have been surpassed by other movies, even other video game movies. 
but for its time, but it did at one point hold the record of both highest grossing franchise of a video game series, but also highest grossing zombie franchise. But once again, this is due to the fact that uh, there wasn't a lot of competition in these categories for a while. So, for those of you who are not familiar with Resident Evil, let's take a moment to talk about that. Resident Evil, known as Biohazard in Japan, is a video game series that basically is part of a genre of video games known as survival horror, where there is an emphasis on trying to stay alive, but also on, on horror themes. Now, the Resident Evil games... Uh, were originally released for the PlayStation 1 way back in the day, but they have since proliferated onto pretty much every console after that. Now, the Resident Evil video game's original design in their series is noteworthy for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, which is up through the four, uh, through the four, uh, the original part of the franchise, which would be through Resident Evil's 1, 2, 3, Code Veronica, and Resident Evil 4. The, the series of video games is strangely balanced in terms of choices for female and male characters. In fact, the game allowed you to choose to play as a male or female protagonist way back in the very first game. And this actually stayed sort of leveled off through the four, the first four games in terms of representation, with Resident Evil's 1, 2, 3, oh, and 0, forgot about that one, um, allowing you to choose between male and female protagonists. Well, technically 0, you played both of them at the same time. And then Resident Evil Code Veronica exclusively stars a woman and Resident Evil 4 exclusively stars a man as the playable characters. So this is so I think that's semi noteworthy. And I think that and that is actually kind of the thing that makes the Resident Evil film franchise noteworthy. And I'll get more into this in a minute, but essentially it is also a pretty successful franchise of action movies that star a woman and also has a number of female supporting actioneers. Actioneers? Can I use the word that way? I don't know. The point is, is that they do a lot of action-y stuff, and they have fight scenes, and get to do all the things normally reserved for all, for the, the people with the penises. Which, you know, everyone knows, penises are important for murder. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with that joke. Okay, where was I? So... The Resident Evil games essentially follow the outbreak of a zombie infection, or at least they do in Zero through Code Veronica. Now, <clears throat> Resident Evil's Zero through Three all take place in relatively this a very short time period, which is one outbreak of the zombie infection in a city known as Raccoon City, while Resident Evil Code Veronica takes place a bit after this, where a character is on a special mission on an island where they discover another outbreak. And Resident Evil 4 deviates from the, from the regular zombies entirely, instead going with a, um, a weird parasite that is, well, technically 
one could define it as a type of zombie is leads to a enemy that is fought completely differently now inside the video games pretty much all of them are against the major connecting theme through all the video games besides reoccurring characters is the antagonist which is an evil corporation known as the umbrella company or umbrella corporation i forget which one it is and that's really the through line on the resident evil game i'm sorry movies as well is this umbrella company and essentially the umbrella company are a creepy evil um biotech company that uh well they create a zombie plague let's get to the movies which are based off the video game there are six movies in this series of video of in this series of films they are resident evil resident evil apocalypse resident evil extinction resident evil afterlife resident evil retribution and Resident Evil, the final chapter. This film series was primarily directed, at, at least the first movie and at movies four through six, were directed by Paul W.S. Anderson and also written by him, with a couple other directors stepping in for Resident Evil 2 and 3, or Apocalypse and Extinction. Now, the Resident Evil movies star Mila Jovich, now, Mila Jovich is, for context, married, or I believe they're still married, to Paul W.S. Anderson. Paul W.S. Anderson, not to be confused with Paul Thomas Anderson or P.T. Anderson, also not to be confused with Wes Anderson. Man, there's a lot of Andersons in the film company, in, in Hollywood. And if I had to describe Paul W.S. Anderson's directing style, I would say that he is the poor man's Zack Snyder. And I mean that not necessarily as a, as a dig at him, but Zack Snyder's movies are typically... No, actually, I'd just, like, no, no, no shade on Paul W.S. Anderson, but everything that he does, Zack Snyder does better and everything that Zack Snyder has been accused of doing badly which I don't necessarily agree with Paul W.S. Anderson also definitely does but anyways <clears throat> let's talk about them. Resident Evil the first movie Resident Evil which typically is the most positively talked about although I gonna be honest I wasn't super impressed with myself the first movie in the series, we meet Alice, uh, who is played by Mila Jovich. Now, this is an interesting distinction from the video game because her character is not in the video game. The very first Resident Evil movie itself is a strange way to approach the material. But then again, this film, like many video game movies, was made in Germany. I'm sorry, not in Germany, but by Germans. And by that, I mean the film is technically made by German studio Constantine Films, who bought the rights to adapt the series in January of 1998. Which, which probably explains a few things 
unrelated to the film, like how Yui Bowl got the idea to start making all his terrible video game movies when he decided to, that he would be the even poorer man's Paul W.S. Anderson. But the first Resident Evil, we meet Alice, played by Mila Jovich, as they awaken inside the Hive, a bio-facility underneath the mansion. Now, this is, an, this is actually sort of the interesting deviation from the game. In the game, we are first introduced to the mansion, where the characters find themselves in a mysterious sort of mansion. Very traditional horror movie, very spooky. And then they eventually make their way into the biolab beneath the mansion. Although I do believe most of the biolab is flooded in the game, and so you don't explore it extensively as in the movie. However, in the movie, we pretty much start off inside the biolab under the mansion and eventually make our way up to the mansion at the end of the movie, which is an interesting choice, creatively, for several reasons. Like, why? Um, why deviate in this strange way? I don't know. But it is at least an interesting choice to invert the to sort of invert the events of the first game. But the movie is decently entertaining. It's action-packed. It's got zombies and kills and everything you could possibly want in an action horror movie. Emphasis heavily on the action part. Although I guess this movie probably is the most horror-centric of the movies. We eventually find out that Alice is a genetically engineered being who contained, who has been contained the, uh, the virus herself. In fact, the big deal is, is that her character is the only person who has ever bonded with the T-virus and not turned into a horrible mutant or zombie. Although, she does develop powers over the following sequels. And the first movie is entertaining. It's decently well-made for its budget and what it's trying to do. Um, it's, it, its adaptation of the material is obviously going to be frustrated for anyone who has any sort of emotional attachment to the games. With, with the sort of lack of characters to really remember from the games. Which brings us... now. In fairness to the movie studio, it sounds like they kind of started to hear that feedback because that brings us to Resident Evil 2 Apocalypse, which is kind of sort of an adaptation of Resident Evil's 2 and 3. Except now, of course, it stars Alice. Now, Resident Evil Apocalypse is noteworthy because it starts to build up a supporting cast of interesting characters. And actually kind of diverse characters as well, as Alice picks up survivors from STARS teams and Umbrella teams. The film also features an appearance of, of a rather famous video game character slash bad guy, the Nemesis, who is a hulking monstrosity with a rocket launcher, and who in the video games pursues the character relentlessly through the game. That's Resident Evil 3, by the way. In the movie, though, the nemesis has been genetically engineered from a person that Alice actually knew, which is not a bad choice, I guess. 
at this point, the films start to introduce more things from the games, which is cool. It makes it feel more like it's supposed to be an adaptation of that. Um, that being said, Resident Evil... These movies are, so far, Resident Evil and Resident Evil Apocalypse are not what I would describe as, you know, uh, classics or masterpieces by any stretch of the imagination. Um... We'll get more into that. I'll sum it up later. But Resident Evil Apocalypse is the last movie in the series, however. Uh, see, the first movie and the second movie, you can kind of see the connection to the games. You can see how they are sort of those games. Then we go to Resident Evil Extinction, which is from 2007. And this is where... Paul W.S. Anderson has decided to take a massive deviation from the lore. Or is it the games that decided not to follow what Paul W.S. Anderson thought was the logical next step of the lore? Hard to say. I would have to go and compare when movies were released as opposed to which games in the series were released. However, <clears throat> Resident Evil Extinction... The way it deviates from the games is that in the video games, the initial viral outbreak in Raccoon City is safely contained. It does not spread anywhere else. In fact, a major thing is that technically, in the movies, the virus becomes airborne, making the distinction between the stories of the movie and the game being essentially at some point, the scientists came up with different ways to distribute the virus. Also, they didn't create Alice in the video games. However, Resident Evil Extinction, or Resident Evil 3 here, makes the major deviation, like I was saying, that the outbreak in Resident Evil the games is successfully contained to, ra to Raccoon City. In the movies, no. It goes fucking everywhere. All over the place. Zombies, hither and yon. And the virus also doesn't just affect zombies, it affects plant life. Uh, I assume because it's cheaper to film in a desert. And Resident Evil Extinction starts to blend the zombie. It goes... It starts to emphasize more the apocalypse part of a zombie apocalypse. Moving us into sort of Mad Max-style territory. In fact, there's even Mad Max moments in, in the movie. Resident Evil Extinction, however, is also interesting because Resident Evil Extinction brings back a number of the characters from Resident Evil Apocalypse that, make, that starts to, at the beginning of the movie, starts to give you distinctively, like, the kind of vibes you get from a Fast and Furious movie. We're having a diverse and likable cast is all part of what's going on. And then the movie fucking kills off almost all of them. Holy shit. Like, Resident Evil Extinction says, fuck your surviving, fuck likable characters, let's murder them. No one is fucking safe. Which, in fairness, you need for horror. I'm not saying these movies are particularly scary, mind you, but they are attempting to be some... But they are at least considered action horror, which means you need at least some of those horror components. 
There are some tense moments in some of the films, mind you. Resident Evil Extinction also begins to show us that Alice has developed superpowers. And she is now very, now has almost like telekinetic abilities, although these do seem to take a lot of energy out of her. Resident Evil Extinction also starts to bring in a very important character from the video game named Albert Wesker, who at this point starts becoming the primary antagonist, although the film also has another antagonist who is a scientist, played by, uh, what is that guy's name? Uh, he's on Game of Thrones, and he's currently Batman on Titans. The weirdest Batman I've ever seen. Seriously, it's like, in that universe, Alfred was his dad. Resident Evil Extinction is a solidly entertaining ride, if you don't mind the fact that it's also, you know, junk food. Then we come to Resident Evil Afterlife, the sequel to Resident Evil Extinction. And I gotta be honest here, I kind of... Resident Evil Afterlife might be the movie I had the most fun watching. Maybe it's because Paul W.S. Anderson came back to the series on this movie, and this movie came out after... Uh, this movie was the first film that got to use the same technology they used to make Avatar. I don't know exactly if that just happened to make the movie cooler or have better action or or whatever. I think it was mostly used for the quality of 3D, which I watched it in 2D, so who knows if it had any real effect. But honestly, at this point in the series, I kind of got what the series was. At this point, I was just like, yeah, okay, let's see the ridiculousness. Let's see the Easter eggs to the video game. Let's see where they go with this shit. And so this was sort of where I got into the movies a good bit. I don't know. I don't know if I could say it's technically the best movie. There's a lot of stuff in these movies that doesn't really make sense. But, like, their zombie apocalypse action movies about a woman who, even when she loses her powers, can still get blown the fuck up and live. If what you want is just... Some wild R-rated action with zombies and sword fights and whatever, all that kind of stuff. Then, yeah, Resident Evil movies are pretty solid time. Which brings us to Resident Evil. Uh, so, basically, Resident Evil Afterlife uh, is actually pretty wild. Because it's basically Alice goes after the Umbrella Corporation and starts hacking them to pieces every chance she gets and she's like raining death down on them at the beginning of this movie but wesker is a hard motherfucker to kill because he also has been infected with the t-virus and just when it looks like her admission is going the way she expects it to go bam he injects her with something that takes away her powers Although, if I'm being 100% honest, and I feel like at certain points the movie may be implying this, because it's the only thing that makes sense, there's no way it took away all her powers. Like, yeah, she clearly doesn't heal as... She clearly can't do telekinetic shit anymore, and she clearly doesn't heal as fast as she used to, but come on! She's clearly healing faster than a normal person. 
And she's clearly surviving shit that a normal person wouldn't survive. She may no longer be able to punch people through walls or whatnot, but Jesus, she's definitely more than human still. But after she loses her powers, kind of, she then decides to complete her mission to go to Alaska where she sent all of her friends in the previous movie. Of course, she gets there and a whole bunch of stuff happens. There's no one, and the only person she finds there is a deranged uh, Jill Valentine. Uh, Claire, sorry, not Jill Valentine, Claire Redfield, who is, uh, who was her friend from the previous two movies. And basically, her and Claire Redfield take a plane and end up at a prison in California where a bunch of survivors are holed up. Claire's got amnesia. And this game, this movie also features her brother from the games, played by Wentworth Miller. So, they're bringing even more Resident Evil game characters into the movies, which, you know, is cool. It's cool. And basically, shit goes bananas at the prison, and they all make, they all get on this boat. Court where they discover it was a trap all along from Umbrella. And then, that brings us to Resident Evil Retribution, which starts off with the world's most awesome cop-out. Where essentially, we see a scene in slow motion and reverse of what happened in the moments immediately following the events of Resident Evil Afterlife. And in fact, if I'm being 100% honest, I feel like if the budget had allowed for it, the beginning of Resident Evil uh, Retribution should have been the end of Resident Evil Afterlife. But the movie loves cliffhangers. And Resident Evil Retribution is about to give us the... Is a movie that ends on the most ball-kicking fucking tease in an action movie ever. But we, we'll, we'll get to that. Basically, Resident Evil Retribution. Only a couple people make it out, of, out alive of that previous situation. With the boats. And essentially there's a whole thing where she goes to try, where she's been taken to an underground facility. Albert Wesker essentially sends, and Albert Wesker now, saying he's her friend, sends two characters from the games to try and rescue her from the Umbrella facility. And those two characters are Barry Burton and Leon Kennedy. As well as this other character that was made up for Afterlife who lived in the prison. And another character who I don't remember. <clears throat> but essentially they form a team that, uh, that breaks into the prison to get her. And Leon Kennedy's the main character of Resident Evil 4, by the way. The Resident This Resident Evil, I mean this Umbrella Corporation's facility is full of a bunch of wacky, like, staging test sites that look like various famous cities where they set up zombies and clones to basically run a bunch of tests to impress people so they could sell it as a bioweapon. Which essentially means there's a lot of variety in the action and sequences that we see throughout this particular movie. And that's cool. 
I also do appreciate that while I didn't think he w he acted much like Leon Kennedy, damn did he look like Leon Kennedy from the games. I mean, holy shit. Even the guy that got playing Barry Burton, uh, like, I don't think that actor looks a ton like him, but they put a lot of effort into making him look like Barry Burton from the games. Resident Evil Retribution is reasonably action-packed and entertaining and... You know, it has some nice moments to it. You know, for dumb, crazy, sci-fi, junk food movies. Which it is. The thing about Resident Evil Retribution, though, and what happens next in the series, is that this motherfucking movie sets up so many characters, and Mila Jovich's character even adopts a little girl who is a clone, as her daughter, and then they all end up at the very end of the movie. And I guess this is a major spoiler, but maybe if you're going to see these movies, you should be prepared for this shit. They end up at the White House, where Albert Wesker is sitting in the, in the, in the chair, and he's like, hey, this is, a, this is humanity's last stand. Our armies versus the army, versus a zombie army sent here by Umbrella Corporation. Um, as well as a bunch of other mutant horrific monsters, and they're all coming here, and it's our army against their army, and it's gonna be you, and, and we're, and Jill Valentine, and, and, and your little girl, and fucking Leon Kennedy, and we're all gonna batten down and fight this thing, and it, and it, as the cameras roll out, we are left in this cliffhanger of them about to fight the last final battle for humanity. <sighs> and then Resident Evil, the final chapter happens. And while I will say that I do consider Resident Evil, the final chapter, <sighs> to be a better movie than I thought it was going to be, I have to express my frustration with the film. Because we don't even get... The weird cop-out that Retribution had at the beginning of its movie. No. Where does it pick up? Well, after we get a ham-fisted, like, essentially, update thing for people who might not have seen the other fucking movies and have somehow have decided they want to see Resident Evil, the final chapter. There's a ham-fisted introduction to the film. Actually, a number of the movies have this ham-fisted introduction where it's just Mila Jovich's character explaining the stories of the movies up to that point. <sighs> but the point is, it picks up immediately after everything we were promised in the previous cliffhanger has already happened. And what I mean by that is... Milojovic crawls out of the wreckage of the White House and just everybody's already fucking dead. Gone. There's no sign, no trace. Like everything is just a wasteland. Everything's been destroyed. We don't see Leon. We don't see the girl. Everybody just fucking dead. We didn't get to, and we don't even get to see any of the emotional impact of any of this because we don't see any of it. It just kicks us 
open right in the moments after any of it would have happened. Hell, I would have accepted, it would have been better if this movie had started like Resident Evil Retribution did, where we saw all the, the tragedy unfold in slow motion before she wakes up in the fucking wreckage. <sighs> Ugh. And it's... Now, I assume that there was... I assume it went down this way because of either budgetary reasons or contracts with actors that they either just didn't want to deal with or were busy making other movies or or something, you know. It's it's no it's also noteworthy that Resident Evil Retribution features the return of a the previous movie Resident Evil Retribution also featured a lot of returning actors who had characters had previously died. Also, I forgot to mention Resident Evil Retribution has a nice has a nice reference to Resident Evil 4 uh, when a character injects them with the uh, Las Plagueis parasite from Resident Evil 4. Although, I was really waiting for them to shoot that character's head off so that, so that like a giant tentacle knife could pop out of their neck like in that game. But that didn't happen. Although the way they did die was pretty cool. But back to Resident Evil the final chapter. Resident Evil, the final chapter, like I said, was ultimately more enjoyable than I thought it would be, but goddamn, does it start on a what-the-fuck type of moment. Where you're just like, really? Really? You're gonna tease me with that cliffhanger, and this is the payoff. Bullshit. <sighs> but... As the movie plays out, we learn the truth behind Alice's creation. We learn Wesker, Wesker and and the main do evil doctor guy from the first game show up. And I mean, not the first game, the fir the the third movie really is where he made his big. The second and third movie really is where he made his big appearances. But he shows up back in Resident Evil after. I mean, sorry, final chapter. And it's... It's fine, I guess. It The movie works. I'm happy to have the resolution. I'm happy to have its various entertaining... I'm happy to have its various action moments. But it does feel like a kind of a letdown. After everything Resident Evil Retribution set up to essentially use none of it? Yeah, I just... Frustrating. Frustrating. But what's here is an okay conclusion to the series. So what are my overall thoughts on this series? Why did I think it was worth taking the time to talk about these ridiculous movies because honestly i like ridiculous movies sometimes and the resident evil movies have some noteworthy things to them for starters it's a video game movie franchise that lasted six fucking movies and even got a reboot after those six movies which is a lot more than has been done with almost any video game property even even bigger, hypothetically bigger, better made movies 
Well, actually, that's not entirely accurate. Fun fact, Paul W.S. Anderson also directed the original Mortal Kombat movie. But here's some things you should know about the Resident Evil movies. First of all, they are girl power action movies that were made in a time where people wouldn't just immediately go, Ugh, it stars a woman. Here comes the woke Hollywood agenda. So these movies don't have any of that taint of fucking bullshit on them. That nowadays, when you make an action movie starring women, they, they end up having it from the general zeitgeist, which is fucking stupid. So yeah, and in all honesty, if I had to compare this franchise to something, I'd compare it to Fast and the Furious. Not necessarily in all the ways, because Fast and the Furious has that feel-good, slap-you-on-the-back, it's family thing that it's trying to do all the time. Resident Evil doesn't have that. Resident Evil has a, it's a brutal world and people will die at any moment no matter how much you like them. Which is pretty different in that regard. But in terms of like the overall quality of these movies versus the overall quality of Fast and the Furious, I'd say they're relatively comparable. They're dumb action movies that are fun if you're not thinking about them too hard. They both have diverse casts where women aren't just relegated to being like romantic characters. In fact, I'd say, in fact, I can't really think of a strong romance at any point in this movie series. I mean, there's kind of a thing going on between her and one other character, and there's kind of a moment where one other character is into another character, but then it turns out that that was all just a trick to, you know, betray them. And it... But overall, it, at no point are any of the female characters really defined by romantic relationships, which is, you know, cool. It's, an, it's a fun, dumb action series that kind of passes the Bechdel test. Even though I'm no expert on the Bechdel test, to be fair. Mila Jovich kind of kicks ass in these movies, too. Some of the action's just fun. I mean, a lot of the special effects haven't aged spectacularly, if I'm being honest. And honestly, the second and third, the, the second and third movie, I would say are honestly the weakest of the movies. Um, being as they weren't directed by, weirdly enough, probably because they weren't directed by Paul W.S. Anderson. Starting with Resident Evil Afterlife, there's a huge notch up in the quality of the action movies. In the quality of the action in these movies. I mean, Resident Evil Apocalypse and Resident Evil Extinction have their moments. And, Resident, and the first Resident Evil movie has some pretty uh, sick kills in it, it, too. But honestly, you know, if you're just down for dumb, and if you're down for fun, and if you're down for ridiculous action sequences, then I kind of recommend these movies. I mean, they're not Shakespeare. They're not super intellectual action movies in, of any kind. But you know what? But you know what these movies also have going for them? They're all about an hour and a half. So if you just want to watch an hour and a half of dumb, silly action movie, then these are just as good as any Fast and the Furious movie. I mean, sure, they're R-rated with tons of gore, so you can't... So maybe the Fast and the Furious movies 
are better for ki are better for kids or if you're doing like family night or whatever but uh the resident evil movies once again are about 90 minutes or so and the average fast and the furious movie is now running like what two and a half hours which i mean i like long movies and if they got good action i probably won't notice how long they are but come on guys it's not like fast and the furious movies are super highbrow stuff so if you're looking for some lowbrow but like high action semi-decently budgeted films starring kick-ass women then yeah i kind of recommend the resident evil movies all right now though i saw another movie though so we're gonna throw a bonus review on here oh wait one final thought so the thing though that does make the franchise weird is that technically the way it adapts the source material essentially means that this film series is is just paul ws anderson writing resident evil fan fiction that stars his wife so that is kind of ridiculous but like i said they're kind of ridiculous movies and if you have fun with ridiculous movies then yeah they're just as good as any other action-packed ridiculous franchise you could be watching are they good or great well no but they're fun if that's what you want but now let's do a bonus review here for a movie that recently showed up on disney plus chip and dale rescue rangers uh which is interesting and weird but also kind of entertaining so chip and dale rescue rangers as you may be aware was a disney cartoon from the early 90s late 80s or something i don't know when they originally came out i w i was aware of the cartoon i saw a few episodes but in all honesty the the, the cartoon i definitely watched the disney the disney cartoon i definitely watched the most as a kid was ducktales i'm sorry i grew up on the ducktales not the chippendale rescue rangers or that weird show about airplanes starring the characters from the jungle book i although i did i did see occasional episodes of both rescue rangers and that weird tailspin show but so essentially chip and dale rescue rangers the concept of the cartoon anyways which is important to understanding the movie even if the movie itself cannot really be said to be an adaptation of that cartoon and i'll get into that in a minute but chip and dale rescue rangers essentially stars chip and dale classic disney characters now dressed as indiana jones and uh, magnum pi for some reason the guy dr chip who dresses as indiana jones is the is the is the smart one of the pair and uh dale who dresses as magnum pi is kind of a dumb goofy motherfucker you know what i'm saying and they hang out with their female mechanic gadget and uh and uh, and uh i think it's a firefly i think i think that's what it is oh and of course um monterey jack 
who, despite being named after a cheese and having a very American, and Monterey being somewhere in America, and I think Monterey Jack being an American thing, I appears to have an Australian or New Zealand-based accent. Or a weird British one, I, I, I think. I don't know. The point is, he's a big, he's a big uh, mouse or rat who is addicted to cheese. And we'll get more into that in a minute. But so that's, and essentially they have adventures where they save people. And it's kind of like the rescuers, but not. And it's kind of, and it stars the Chip and Dale characters who were previously classic Disney chipmunks. And, I mean, they are still chipmunks. And essentially, the movie they are in now, though, is kind of an adaptation of that cartoon. Only not because it's a meta movie. And by meta movie, I mean, essentially, it follows Chip and Dale, the actors who played the Rescue Rangers on the show Rescue Rangers. And essentially, Dale, played by Andy Samberg, ruined, uh, got their show fired when he tried to make Double O Dale his own, his own spy show because he was tired of being the dumb one. And this destroy and basically that show never gets picked up, and Rescue Rangers gets canceled without him. And it sort of, and he sort of like screws over his entire cast, which is ridiculous, because as we meet him, years later, he is desperately trying to cling on to the fame that came from that TV show, going to various conventions, and signing autographs, as now, CGI because he had surgery animated Dale. Meanwhile, John Mulaney, who plays Chip, has become an insurance agent and lives with his dog. And yes, yes, there are jokes in the movie where people, where he talks to people about his dog and people think he's talking about his wife. Specifically, Dale thinks he's talking about his wife. But we'll get more into that in a minute. Oh, no, Monterey Jack's played by Eric Bana? Okay, I guess it is an Australian. Holy sh... What? Did not... Did not know that's who Eric Bana played in the movie. Very interesting. Where was I? Okay. So, yeah. So, Chip... He's a set. He is an insurance salesman. And uh, Dale is just desperately trying to cling on to his, his fame. However, one night they both get a call from a former friend... Monterey Jack, who tells them he's in trouble, and they both end up meeting up at his apartment. However, once they realize they're, they've both been called there, Chip decides he doesn't want to see Dale and leaves, prompting Dale to also leave, which is unfortunate, because shortly after they leave, Monterey Jack is abducted by the Valley Gang. So, that's the basic setup for what is essentially a, a type of mystery self-aware mystery film. In fact, actually, if I had to describe this movie to anyone, if I had to tell you what I think this movie really is, or what, even if it's not trying to be this, it becomes this on accident, this is a pseudo-sequel to Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And allow me to explain. First of all, the film at numerous points clearly establishes it takes place in the same world as Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Whether that's them having a cameo from Roger Rabbit, numerous Easter eggs from Roger Rabbit, 
and basically exploring a sort of city, LA city that is like Roger Rabbit, but now we also have puppet characters and CGI and claymation cartoon characters as well. A standout character being Captain Putty, played by J.K. Simmons, who, you know, is great in everything he does. He, he's essentially a... He's essentially if Gumby was a cop. But that's what the movie is. It's a pseudo-noir murder mist. It's a pseudo-noir mystery movie set in that universe with those types of themes. I would go so far to say is that it has a shit ton in common with Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Specifically in terms of the way the movie is being most fun is honestly all the references to other cartoons. I mean, there's a ton of cameos in here, some of which you would not expect, although noticeably missing are, noticeably missing are any specifically licensed uh, Warner Brothers characters, with the exception of a quick Batman cameo, which I think is, would be covered by parody law and not count as a true cameo of Batman in the movie, to be honest. Would they have had to ask for E.T.? I don't know. The point is, there are a ton of cameos, and some of them they definitely would have had to ask for permission, and some of them might be covered under parody law. The other thing is, the film does the same thing Roger Rabbit does, where it sort of creates analogs for more adult things that are child-friendly. Specifically, in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, there's a whole deal of patty cakes, which is clearly a cartoon version of a sexual favor. But of course, you can't have characters having sexual fa there being photos of characters having sexual favors in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. So it's patty cakes that is being used to blackmail people. And of course, that whole movie is about a land grab because, you know, let because a long time ago, there were some fucked up land grabs in, in uh, California, and Hollywood has made people who make do land grabs ever since the villains of their films. Where was I? Right. Now, for Chippendale Rescue Rangers, there are a couple different things where clearly the silly cartoon thing is a stand-in for a very adult, scary thing. Specifically, we've got... What, oh, what is this? Stinky Cheese is clearly drugs. And Monterey Jack is clearly a cheese addict. And it's not even subtle. I don't know how the cartoon portrayed it, but here it's clearly, clearly the cartoon equivalent of drugs. The other thing we do here, though, is the major plot focuses around cartoons being kidnapped to be turned into, to be forced to be made bootleg movies, as the film says, overseas. And this is essentially the cartoon equivalent of, you know, human trafficking, but with cartoons. So that's pretty dark if you explore it with your mind. However, for kids, they're not going to make those dark connections. So just like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, it's simultaneously something that's in there, but it's also weirdly censored in a way that is also not true censorship. So essentially, if I had to describe the film, I would say it is a pseudo-sequel 
to Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And that's sort of how it plays out with lots of characters and with lots of cartoon characters appearing, not to the same degree of copyright variety as Who Framed Roger Rabbit, because I'm betting this film is a smaller production as it's just been released to Disney Plus and not movie theaters. Although you wouldn't guess that from its ridiculously all-star cast. Now I will say, and overall, the film is rather entertaining. It's at its most funny and enjoyable when it is being surprisingly subversive and irreverent with Disney properties. I'm not gonna lie, there's a lot of jokes in this movie where I was like, Disney let them do that? And those were typically the funniest parts of the movie. If I said the movie had... Now, that being said, the flip side to that is that... So the movie's its strongest when it is its most self-aware and is when it is its most irreverent. Many, many self-aware and meta jokes are very good. And a lot of the cameos are hilarious. And the way the film overall sort of brings in characters and things is it's a lot of fun and like i said some of the dis the jokes about disney characters i had like i was like i can't believe disney let them do that very funny stuff but the flip side to that is is that there's also all the jokes in the movie that are you know boilerplate like, the movie has some heavy, heavily troped writing. And this is when the movie is at its weakest. Take, for example, Kiki Lane, who, who plays Ellie Whitfield. And the thing is, is that their character just doesn't have a lot of development. And I don't think this is Kiki Lane's fault. It's just that her character's written more as a trope than a fully fleshed out, than like a real character of any kind. Her only real character development moments are that she is A, a super fan of Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers, and B, that she works on the police force and led a investigation that ended in embarrassment. And that's about all we really get because that's really all that Kiki Lane is given to work with. And her character reminds me of numerous other human live-action characters that are, that are in movies where live-action characters have to interact with cartoons in terms of the way that they are written. And her character is heavily tropey, but the film doesn't seem to be self-aware of how heavily tropey her character is. In fact, the thing that's weird is that there, while the film is very self-aware about certain things, it's not very self- a number of the boilerplate jokes are sort of just played at the boilerplate level. They don't seem to have the same self-awareness about themselves as like the other jokes in the movie, which is a little bit weird. And now I understand that a lot of those boilerplate jokes are written, you know, because the movie's aimed at kids. But like, there's just a number of moments in the movie where I'm like, well, I've seen this joke a million times in other movies. And that's when the movie is sort of at its weakest. The movie also suffers 
in all honesty, from the comparison to Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which kind of does everything Chippendale Rescue Rangers does, although a little bit better, you know? But all that being said, Chippendale Rescue Rangers is still pretty entertaining. I imagine even more entertaining if you get all the references or used to watch Chippendale Rescue Rangers. But as someone who didn't really watch Chippendale Rescue Rangers, who saw this movie more as a pseudo-sequel to Who Framed Roger Rabbit, it is honestly mostly entertaining. It's a funny, light ride. Full of... With a genuinely funny cast. Is it as strongly written in places as... As, uh, who framed Roger Rabbit? Uh, no. No, it is not. But, in all honesty, it's still a decently fun ride. Funny stuff if you can overlook the, the groaners mixed in there with the irreverent stuff. All right. <clears throat> well, thank you for listening to this strange mashup of reviews. Please uh, be sure to like and subscribe on where, wherever listening is, and that is wherever it is applicable where you're listening. Uh, please feel free to reach out to me over social media. If you'd like to come on my podcast, I'm always interested to talk to people. If you want to leave me a message on Anchor, if you're listening to this on Anchor, you can leave me a voice message. I can even put that voice message into my podcast. How dope is that? All right. Well, thank you for listening. Please like or follow or do whatever you're supposed to do at wherever you're doing it. You know, holy shit, Keegan-Michael Keys was Bjorn the chef? I did not, not recognize his voice, voice at all. But this is what happens when you leave a page of the cast of a movie up while you're trying to do your outro. All right, anyways, thank you for listening. Hope you have a great whenever you're listening to it. Please tell everyone you know to listen to this podcast. That's the best way you can support it. Hey, son, you want to come watch the new Chippendale Rescue Rangers show? Why, when I was a kid, I thought it was the bee's knees. Dad, I don't know what that show is. Oh, uh... Do you, oh, do you want to, uh, uh, I'm just going to go watch Minecraft videos, if you don't mind, Dad. Sure. Sure, son. I guess I'll just go watch Chippendale Rescue Rangers by myself. Also, what does the bee's knees mean? Once again, Dave was put in his place as an old person by his child.